listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can take your Bibles and turn to Acts chapter 6, and uh, the ushers are coming forward right now. If you don't have a Bible, if you didn't bring yours today, or would like a Bible, you can raise your hand. They will give you one. They also have pens. If you need a pen, encourage you strongly to use that connection card or to bring your own journal. I love it when I see journals come in and people are taking notes, and then you're able to easily find them. But and uh, I know even in our house, um, I come across weekly. Um, connection, those connection cards where when Charlotte is in here today, she's serving in Harvest Kids, but I see her notes that she takes on the sermon, and a lot of times I'm intrigued. So what did she actually write down? And, you know, encourage you to be writing down the, the points as you'll see them on the screen and other things and, and, and things that don't appear there that, that you can continue to keep studying God's Word and taking these truths and apply them. And so we take God's Word seriously here, encourage you to be bringing your Bibles, to uh, refer to them, underline, there will be times things are going to stick out. There's going to be words we're going to talk about. I encourage you to underline that. Write some notes in your Bible. I love being able to do that when I sit under the preaching of God's Word, when I'm even listening online to, to someone preach, because it is a wonderful way to be able to um, study, learn, and even refer back to that um, in, in later times when, when you open that page on, uh, in, in God's Word. So just encourage you to be using your Bibles here this morning. You know, you hear this statement, and I think it's a a reality that oftentimes we face, that things are often not what they seem. You know, and and you can apply that to so many different areas, and um, I think we even have that question um, on on the screen. Is it on the screen yet? Things are not often what they seem, and at times we look at the lives of people and we think, wow, now that person, that family, that group, now they have it together. That business, that church, I mean, they are just amazing. Look at what, what's happening. Just look at the blessing on their lives. Look, look, you know, I mean, they just have that right image and, and everything seems so good. And then you find out that things aren't what they seem. You scratch behind the surface a little bit and you start to see, oh my, there's an there's a ugly underbelly there. There's... There's some nasty stuff going on there. Things aren't often what they seem. Um, Owners of diesel Volkswagens found out this past week, didn't they, that things aren't what they seem when it comes to emission controls. If you haven't heard that in the news, you can just go and do a little search a little later on. Um, Just do a Google search and you'll see there's a billion dollar debacle going on because of false emissions tests that seem to be taking place with these cars. Things aren't what those owners were led um, to believe to be true are actually happening. And so you see these kind of things. You look at the lives of the rich and the famous. I mean, they've got the cars. They have the houses. They've got the, the you know, um, relationships with people. They have connections. They have the seats to the best best games that are going on in the nation, and, and, and you just like, wow, I mean, do they have it together? They have wealth, they have, you know, influence, they're funny, or they're entertaining, and, and people love them, and then you find out that there's family breakdown, and addictions, and jail times, and suicides, and domestic disputes, and adultery, and emptiness. Things aren't often what they seem. And even today, we can, as we walk into the doors of our church location here, and we can have the smiles, and we can, you know, say the right things, and maybe in reality, the smiles and the things we say aren't really how things are going. 
it's important to get beyond the surface and to dig a little bit further. And sometimes, though, when we dig, we don't like what we find, but we believe that the gospel has an answer to anything that we face in our lives. The gospel gives us that hope. That gospel is the message of Jesus Christ, and that is what we are about. That is what God's word proclaims to us. And we're in this series here in the book of Acts, the church on the move. And here is this new church that is, things seem to be going very, very well for it. And it seems that there's this forward momentum, and and they're growing by leaps and bounds. I mean, Peter preaches one sermon and 3,000 people are saved and baptized on that day. And then in Acts 4, we see that number grows to to 5,000 because another 2,000 people are saved. And and they're kind of trying to keep track, but it's also getting harder to keep track. In Acts 5, we read about that many more were being added to the faith. And and some believe, in some of the reading, I was doing this this past week, that that this new church in Jerusalem, right now they're just in Jerusalem, is is possibly into 10,000, even some would say even over 20,000 people. It is just going like crazy. And, it, and the believers are gathering together. They're, they're wanting to be together. They're gathering in the temple for some worship and, 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 and gatherings together in homes. And, and we read they're devoting themselves to the word of God, to prayer, to, to the preaching of the word. There's needs are being met. If somebody has a need, people were stepping in and helping with that need. And there were miraculous things taking place. There was healings and people's lives were being transformed and changed. And it's just, just really, really good. And, and you just think, this is awesome. This is amazing what is taking place. But then you get to Acts chapter 6 and we start to see maybe things aren't quite what they seem. There's trouble brewing in this new church. And, and um, here you see the delicate unity that is in any church. Unity is always very delicate. And we even see here that the unity in this church is endangered. And we'll read here in, in, starting in verse 1 of Acts chapter 6. It says, Now in these days when the disciples were increasing in number... And we're just going to stop there before we go any further. Notice it says the word disciples were increasing in number. It doesn't say... um Uh, It doesn't say the crowds were increasing. It doesn't say that seekers, people who were intrigued. No, this says disciples were increasing. These are people who are saying, I'm all in. I'm ready to go all the way with Jesus. These were people that had responded to the call of the gospel and were giving their lives. They, they, They were baptized and they're in. And this is the number that's increasing. You see, the word disciple actually means um. A learner, somebody who is willing to learn. And, and Webster's Dictionary puts it as this, someone who accepts and spreads the teaching of a famous person. So a disciple is someone who has accepted the message and is now out there ready, willing to get after it and to share this message with others. And so it says here in, in this chapter, and we know this, that the number of disciples were increasing. This is pretty cool to see. These were people who were all in. These were people who responded to the gospel. Their lives were being changed. They joined together as this new group of believers. They had been baptized in direct obedience because Jesus said it. Hey, Jesus was baptized. He commanded it. We will do the same upon repentance, upon confession of their faith. They were baptized. They were willing to go public with it and say, hey, I'm all in. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to do what God has called me to do. 
And now we see they're pressing in. They're eager. They wanted to learn and to grow. They, they, they were rearranging their lives, their, li- their, their priorities in life as they would worship, as they would gather together. And, and, and they were eager. They wanted to get together for fellowship. They wanted to get together for prayer and to study the word, not just, oh, we have to go. Or, oh, I guess it would look good. I guess, you know, should, should go to church today. I guess we should go to, to, you know what, midweek prayer or whatever it might be. You know, like, no, it's like, come on, let's go. The doors were open, they were there. And I have a question for you today. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ in the way that we have just been talking here this morning? Are you all in? You see, there's a term that we use here in North America, sadly, to describe many people who sometimes or, or do, maybe even regularly, attend church. We call it a nominal Christian. The word nominal means in name only. In name, I'm a Christian. I have a Christian heritage. My parents are Christians. Maybe my grandparents were even Christians, and now I'm a Christian. Or maybe I'm first-generation Christian in, 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 in my home, and yet... It's kind of, you know, started out great guns, but now everything has just kind of calmed down, and, and we've kind of brought it down into our terms, and, you know, might go to church, might not, just kind of depends how I feel, and, you know, I had someone just the other day when I invited them to church, this person instead in, in invited me to their church, and I thought, oh, that's interesting, I didn't think you were going to church, and, and this person says, oh, no, mine is Beachside Baptist, and I go there every Sunday, and, and I'm just like, really? You know, and, and yeah, it's church on this person's own self out on the beach, I guess. And, and you know, and, and we take God's word and we kind of make it fit in, in how we want. You know, we can sometimes like the Bible, but don't like everything it says. I'm going to kind of accept the Bible on my terms. This is what a nominal in name Christian is. And oftentimes it happens that our hearts and our affections start to drift. We start out strong. See this time and time again. Start out strong for Christ or go through seasons where it, it's, it's all out and then all of a sudden distraction, all of a sudden a cooling off. And sometimes those cooling off sessions can be very long, very, very long. Sometimes we get then drawn to preachers or teachers or churches that tickle our ears, that give us what we want to hear. You know, it's kind of like, how many of you, I mean, like buying the light version of things. You know, there's light sour cream, there's light peanut butter, there's light what else? Yeah, I mean, it, it, what, what did someone go, you? You know, like, you? Uh, you know, I mean, when you buy the light version. How come we're willing to do that with the gospel? We're willing to take a light version, kind of our version, you know, not this all in, not this let's get at it, but we're going to take the version that kind of suits us. This past week, I, I met with uh, a few pastoral friends, and um, they shared, uh, w- one of them shared this, this uh, gave to each one of us this little piece of paper, and actually have it up on the screen if you could go to that right now. And some of these are available out in the lobby if you're interested about it, because today we live in a society where we have, we see the biblical Jesus in the Word of God. But we also have the modern Jesus. We kind of have Jesus, the light version. The one that kind of, you know, just that, that, that we like because it's just um, easier this way. And, and I'm going to just read through some of these. The biblical Jesus sees Jesus is born as God Almighty in the flesh. The modern Jesus has a good teacher and man. 
The biblical Jesus loves us enough to speak the truth. The modern Jesus waters down words to avoid offense. The biblical Jesus points us towards eternal treasure. The modern Jesus promises us earthly treasure. Biblical Jesus warns of sin, judgment, and hell. The modern Jesus sends us all to heaven and dismisses hell. The biblical Jesus commands repentance of sins. The modern Jesus minimizes the need for repentance of sins. Biblical Jesus gives you salvation, hope, peace, and joy. The modern Jesus gives you health, wealth, and happiness. The biblical Jesus is hated and despised by the world. The modern Jesus is loved and accepted by the world. Biblical Jesus hates sin and exposes the truth about sin. The modern Jesus overlooks sin and never corrects you. You just kind of see this as it continues to go on. Um, the biblical Jesus warns of false signs and, and wonders to magnify that magnifies God's word. The modern Jesus exalts signs and wonders and mysticism above God's words. And the bottom one commands you to deny yourself and be willing to lay down your life for God. And the modern Jesus encourages you to love yourself first and gratify all your fleshly desires. And the question is, what Jesus are we following? What kind of a disciple are we? Are we disciple the light version or are we the all-in disciple? Those are choices. Those are decisions that we can only answer or, or a question we can only answer ourselves. And so a disciple is someone who is pursuing the biblical Jesus. Though it's not always easy and it's hard, but we have the body of Christ. We have the spirit of God. We have the word of God all at work in our lives. When Jesus is rightly worshipped and rightly followed, others around us will respond to him when they see what he's doing in and through us. Here in, in chapter 6, verse 1, we see the number of disciples was increasing. It was spreading like wildfire. But again, now we start to see that there's some trouble that is brewing within the church. And one thing, folks, when God is on the move, you better watch out because the enemy is also at work. He has plans to try to defeat and to destroy and thwart any work that is happening. And this new church already, it had to deal with some major issues. We've, we've talked about that. And in, in chapter 4 and chapter 5, we see how the church kind of staved off some persecution that was coming. And then there was some corruption that was kind of moving into the church. And, and again, that got dealt with. And, and now we see here in this chapter, in chapter 6, that some dissension is moving into the church. And so here in 6.1, I'll start again. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. Here is something that is very, very important. I encourage you to write this down. Small issues can become big problems. There's nothing new. There's nothing profound about that. But I just want to remind you of that. That small little issues can become big problems. Isn't that true? Haven't you experienced that within a church environment? Have you experienced that in your family? Experienced that in the workplace? I was asking Charlotte. I said, what have been some explosive things that have happened in your workplace over the years? And, and she said, they changed out the coffee maker. They, they, they changed from one kind of coffee to another. And now they're charging a little bit more. And some said it was more environmentally friendly. And the emails and everything. And just a little issue became a big blow up. And you think, really? Does it have to come to that? But we see that a complaint arose within the early church. Some murmuring. Some grumbling. Some complaining. Whisper. I can't believe this is happening. 
you know, and, 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 and there's a dangerous, and becomes a dangerous undercurrent that starts to happen when there's murmuring and complaining that is happening. And, and just to help you understand the conflict that is going on, we have this chart here for you that, that there were the Hellenists versus the Hebrew Jews, all right? And so we see that there is this battle kind of thing, and it, it's a racial thing that is happening. The Hellenists were foreign Greek-speaking Jews from countries like Asia Minor, North Africa, and other Mediterranean countries. And over the centuries, over the decades and centuries, because of persecution, they were dispersed from Israel, from Jerusalem, and they were dispersed into other regions, into other countries, but they still maintained their Jewish heritage. They still wanted to, 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 to keep going in uh, following uh, the word of God that they had in the Old Testament. You hear that word, Zionists. Even today, there is a pull. And so all these people, oftentimes, because they would want to go for Pentecost and for Passover celebrations, Jerusalem still held a very important place. Oftentimes, even when they would get a little older, and they, there was this pull to want to go back to Jerusalem and to live there and, and to, to be closer to the temple and to the place that was so near and dear to, to their spiritual heritage. And so you have the Hellenists that were there, but then you also, and, and the number of Hellenists were probably in the hundreds. There weren't a lot of them. They were very much the minority. Now remember that, okay? The majority of people were, were Hebrews. They were from Jerusalem. They were from the region of Palestine. They were the real deal. They were the full bloods. Uh, purebreds kind of thing, where the others were, had adopted a lot of the Greek culture. They didn't even speak the language of Hebrew or, or Aramaic. They, they were speaking um, other languages and, and, and different dialects, and so they spoke funny, and, and oftentimes they didn't speak the language that the Jews in Jerusalem spoke, and, and, and they had different customs and traditions and different things, and so these people historically did not like each other very much. And especially the Hebrews, they often looked down on the others, and then the others thought they were a little more elite, and so they looked down on the Hebrews. And so you have this going back and forth. And you say, okay, you know what? Some of the ladies are a little upset because they're not getting, you know what? You know what? Some are getting more bread than they are, and it doesn't seem very fair, and it doesn't seem like all that big of a deal. But we have this complaint that starts to arise. And remember, small issues can become big problems. And nothing is used by Satan more, more effectively than distrust and resentment. You can see that time and time again in the family, in a marriage, in the workplace, and within the church. Satan loves to get the church so busy, off mission, and fighting from within where there's bickering and complaining and power struggles and, and my way and their way isn't the right way. My way is the right way. And, and a church that is embroiled in internal conflict will find a message. Their message is diluted. It becomes the gospel, the light version. In fact, they don't even want to share the gospel. They're so busy fighting within, within themselves. And remember one of the things we've been saying in this series over the last few weeks, that a pure church is a powerful church. And before a church can be a powerful church and do powerful things for the work of God, they need to deal with the division within the ranks. If there's infighting and, and, and division that's happening, a church will not be powerful. It will not be effective for the gospel. 
Remember I told you a story that this was earlier in, in this year about a church in Dallas, Texas. True story. It was a nice-sized church. A huge, huge problem erupted, and it, it became even front and center in the news. There was a split, and so there was two groups within the church, and they were fighting over the building. No, we get the building. No, we want the building. You shouldn't have it. We should have it. And it's going back and forth. It goes to court. Even, and it's just this ugly thing where, where the word of God is, is, you know, it's just being laughed at in the media. And finally, in the end, when somebody did some digging to find out how did this even begin? How, what was this war all about? And what did it come down to? If some of you remember, it was over a piece of what? A piece of ham at a church supper that one of the prominent leaders in the church got a smaller piece of meat than someone else that he was sitting next to and took offense. Small issues can become big problems. And Satan's strategy to stop the church will ultimately result in in, um, advancement of the church when we learn to respond biblically. When we look at the steps that that the, the apostles took here in dealing with this situation. And folks, what we're going to talk about here today in how they dealt with the situation can be applied in your family, in your personal relationships, within the church, and even into the workplace. There there are things we can learn from how they dealt with this problem. And so today, Harvest, let's learn. Let's learn this as we're coming up to our one-year anniversary. So thankful for the year that God has given us, but, but, but unity is always delicate within the body of Christ. And so let's take and apply this to our church and to our ministries and to, you know, um, our workplaces, in our homes. Let's, let's learn from God's word here today. And, and the first thing we see is, is, is take and deal with the problem quickly. Deal with the issue quickly. Don't wait. The 12 right away, it says, verse 2, and the 12 summoned the, the full number of disciples. Their, their response was immediate. Let's get on it. Let's not let it sit. Let's not just shove it under the carpet. Hope it'll go away. You know, wine, wine, wine. Ladies are whining. You know, like just, just let them go at it. They'll, the problem will fix itself. No, they brought it out and let's, let's deal with this. Let's, let, let's get on it. Let's not let it sit and brew and fester. And another thing is you go right to the source. You go to the source of it. You don't form a committee. You don't, you know what, take it to social media. You don't start a chat group or, you know, whatever it might be. You know, a texting group. Did you hear what happened? Blah, 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 you know, and, and all of this. No, you go to the source. You go to the source. Matthew 18 is, is, is a, a prime passage of scripture that Jesus gave to us that when a, a brother or sister sins against you, you go to that person one-on-one directly. So many problems, so many issues would be resolved if, if they were dealt with quickly and biblically. You go straight to the source. You go straight to the person you have a problem with. Don't form the committee. Let's get it dealt with. Next, maintain your priorities. Keep the main thing the main thing. Maintain your priorities. Encourage it right down. Keep the main thing the main thing. And what is the main thing we're going to see in here? Look at in in the last part of of verse 2 and then in verse 4. It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What's the main thing? The word of God. It's about God's word going forth. That is the priority. That is what, what we are called to do as the church. Not saying that, and, and the disciples were not saying at all that we are too good, we are too elite, we're too wonderful, we're, we're too special, the 12 of us, to wait on tables. They saw themselves as servants. Up until this time, they were the ones that were doing the, um, 
disbursement of goods. We even see that earlier on, that they would give to people as they would have need. They were in charge of it, but now with, with so many disciples, with so many people coming to faith in Jesus Christ, they needed to do the work that, that they were called to do. They had learned servanthood from the one who washed their feet. They were servants. And in verse 4, we see devoted to prayer and to the ministry of God's word. The word ministry there, when you look at it in the original Greek, has a connotation of service to it. They were serving the people. They were, in a sense, washing the feet of the people through the word of God. But here's the other connotation or, or kind of understanding of that word for, for ministry in, in the Greek is they were making dust. They were making, they were studying God's word. They were going through it and, and, and they were making dust happen. Like they were going at it. You know, like when, you know, when a young guy gets his driver's license, it, there's nothing better going to a gravel road and just, especially when you have a gutless car. I had this Ford Maverick and, uh, uh, it was pretty gutless, and, uh, but boy, on gravel, it felt pretty powerful. It was on loose gravel, you know, and it was pretty cool to look in that mirror, you know, hitting 10 miles an hour, you know, and looking in the mirror, seeing that dust flying behind. Oh, yeah, making dust here. Well, that's what the disciples were doing. They were serving, but they were making dust. They, they were given it when it came to study the, the word of God. Remember how Jesus, post-resurrection, was walking on the road to Emmaus? What did he do? He proved his resurrection by walking them through the Old Testament passages of Scripture. The apostles needed to be studying the Old Testament and be, be current and, and understanding what God was saying. Plus, some of these ended up writing parts of our New Testament. And so they needed to study God's Word so they could teach and they could proclaim with authority that comes from the Word of God. And so they were giving themselves, devoting themselves to that. Paul later on wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15. He says, it is to write, talk, told Timothy, you need to rightly handle the word of truth. This is God's word. This is, this is his truth. Handle it properly. That's part of the reason why, the main reason why here at Harvest Bible Chapel, we go through chapters verse by verse we don't spring around to a whole bunch of different verses to try to prove something to you we allow God's word to to show its power and its authority as we go through God's word and we then it forces us to handle the difficult passages and and the hard things that sometimes we don't want to hear and it is so important this I was reminded of this this week the job of the preacher is to get the word of God into the people and the people into the word of God let me say that again. The job of the preacher is to get the word of God into the people and the people into the word of God. See, if we're just gathering together and having a book study on some book that's been written, you know what, in, in the you know, past you know what, few decades or, or the recent release, I mean, that's just a book study. We need to get into the word of God and get a heart and an understanding of the mind of God. And how we are to live out our lives for God. The job of the preacher is to get the word of God into the people of God and the people into the word of God. And see, there's a danger that so quickly churches and, 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 and pastors and, and that we can, can easily lose this priority. And churches end up losing it because there's an immediate need. You know, and get caught up in, in what is going on. And the greatest need, the greatest priority is getting God's word 
into the lives of the people, helping them to understand, interpret, live out the word of God. In a world that is changing and shifting so much, it is vital that we are in the word of God and we respond to what is happening biblically, preaching the full counsel of the word of God. We're not going to see change happen in our society and people coming to Christ by just focusing in on social programs. Social programs are good. It's good and important. We see that in the early church. They were meeting one another's needs. But the priority we see right off is they were starting to get distracted. Get back to the word. We got to keep the word of God. But it's the word of God that is also bathed in prayer that we'll be talking about in a few moments. Wayne Grudem, theologian, author, um, read this out of his book, Poverty of Nations, he said, yes, government leaders can make a change. Yes, university professors can make a change in a country. But ultimately, the major factor in transforming cultural values within nations is what the pastors preach. And that is the word of God. The gospel is the answer to our world, and that is what changes societies. And here at Harvest, even, we take and we apply that to our children's ministry. That's why we run Harvest Kids, and and it's not just entertainment. It's not gospel light for them. It is gospel full on. Today they are talking from Joshua, when when Joshua was speaking to to the people, and he said, choose today whom you will serve. And their children are learning today about what does idolatry mean? And how we have these idols, how quick we are to start worshiping other things. And and I know this because my wife is teaching this today. She was getting pictures of Xboxes and, and, and iPhones and different things that we think we need. And if we have these things, we've got it all. And, and the things that we need to be teaching our children is that if they have the word of God and if they have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, they have it all. And that is what we are wanting to teach and to train into our children. It's not just babysitting. It's just not, you know, going in and they've got this cool theater with, you know, this great big screen. No, it's about teaching them God's word. They are the next generation. And they need to learn to discern what is going on in our world and live their lives um, through the beautiful um, picture of God's word and, and the glory and majesty that is there. And so, it's important that we maintain our priorities, keeping the main thing the main thing within our church, within our lives, within our families. I mean, we get so busy as families running around trying to keep our, our kids, you know, adjusted to, to you know, doing everything that, that everyone else does and, you know, have them in this and this and, well, they should be in that and, you know, I'm not a good parent if I don't do this and we're running around. Are we teaching and training them in the word of God? Are we keeping the main thing the main thing? How about in our own lives? We get so busy... And, and we can get busy doing good things, but not the best things. And the best things is taking time and spending it in the word of God. Keeping the main thing, the main thing, prioritizing God's word. The next thing we see that, that takes place here is that um, the multiplication of the ministry. We see that, that they couldn't do it alone. In verse 3, it says, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the, of the Spirit, and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. So the apostles tell, tell them, you folks, appoint some of the leaders. You know, let's get together. And so, so they call the, this great big meeting together. I don't know if they rented the amphitheater or whatever, because it looked like, I mean, they even said, let's call all the disciples together. And so they have this massive meeting. 
and they call them, let's choose out some leaders, let's choose out some folks to help in this. And so the apostles tell them, let's, let's find, choose some men of good reputation, meaning they're well-respected, full of the Holy Spirit, meaning they're genuine believers, not depending on their own strength and wisdom, but were reliant on the Holy Spirit for wisdom and for power. And commission them to do this work. You see, the core of Christian commitment involves service. If our faith isn't changing us, and if we're not um, serving our God, it, there's something to it. If we're going to be involved, we're going to want to serve and follow out the commands that we've been given from Christ. As true believers, we see in God's word that we've been given a mission to go and tell others. We've all been gifted with ministries, ministry capabilities. We all have been gifted to serve. In Ephesians 4, um, 11, Paul wrote, he says, And he gave some to be apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The role of, of spiritual leadership and leaders within the church is not to do all the work but to equip others. Years ago, I, I, I had the privilege of working with a staff person who saw their job as working themselves out of a job and getting other people to come and to take the work to the point where this person could just step out of that ministry possession, position and let it go, either go into some other new area or just say, hey, my job here is done. That is the role of what we are to do. We are to entrust the work of the ministry into the hands of others. The role of leadership is not doing all the work, but equipping others. And, and we see the spiritual gifts listed in, in 1 Corinthians 12 and Romans 12. And you say, well, oh, I don't know where to serve. I don't, I, don't, I, I don't know how I'm gifted. Do a spiritual gifts survey inventory. There's some online on our website. You can even go there and do it. There's Google it. You'll find out other ones, and, and you'll kind of see some, some areas maybe of, of giftedness, because maybe you don't see that within yourself. Another great way is, is talking to others and say, hey, where do you see me having certain giftings and abilities? But you know, best place to know how to get involved in starting to serve God is ultimately it's best if you can do it in your place of skill. A place of passion. What are you passionate about? Get involved. Serve in that area. Maybe you're skilled in a certain area. I am not skilled to be up on stage here while they're singing. I, I totally apologize. Last Sunday, like they have these in-ear monitors that they use, when, and, and so they're listening to each other, and, and I had left my mic on, and they muted me so that when the worship was happening, you couldn't hear me, but all they could hear was me singing. And I mean, I don't know how they pulled it through that song. I'm sure I sent them, you know, I, they were probably trying to turn me down or whatever. I, I mean, just, I mean, I'm not gifted in that area, but I can be gifted in other areas. But another, another area, that way that we can just serve is, where's the area of greatest need? Where do you need me? And I'll be honest, when, when it comes to the ministry and serving the Lord, it's not often very glorious. There's very few positions within the life of the church that are very glorious if you take it biblically. It's hard work. It's a lot of sweat. It's a lot of personal opposition and fear and, and attack that comes when you step up to serve God. It's not glorious. It's not. But you know what? It's a lot like a labor room because <laughs> a labor and delivery room, I mean, that's usually not a very glorious place, is it? 
Um, it can be an anxious time. It can be, uh, well, for, for some of us, very stressful time. But the results are amazing. And you know, in the same thing, when we serve God, it's not, it's not glorious often. It's not easy. But the results, they're amazing. They're amazing when you see lives that are being changed and transformed. That parents can come in here and have their kids learning the word of God as they are being ministered to and God's kingdom goes to work Sunday after Sunday on the shoulders of those who are serving in so many different ways. It's beautiful to see the results over the long term are amazing. And for these seven men, this was not a various glorious thing. I mean, these were some of the first appointments within this new church. It really was. And it was to wait tables for widows. I mean, and you're choosing some really good, top-caliber people to do this? Doesn't seem to make sense, but there was a need. They were appointed, they stepped up, and they did it. And to all accounts that we know of, they did an amazing job. And that ended up becoming the grounds for some of them to go on and to serve God in some, some other very amazing ways, but they were getting their feet wet, so to speak, by waiting on tables. And here at Harvest, I can tell you honestly, with a new church and with the kind of church we have as far as, you know, a church in the box and, and the ministry that is going on, um, there's virtually need in every area of church ministry. So you have an area of interest? Hey, sign up. Be a part of it. Go online. Sign up. Speak to a ministry leader. And you know, one of the important areas... To, to serve God, it's out in the parking lot. It's out at the entrance welcoming and greeting people, letting them know as they're walking in these doors they're loved in, in, in the welcome ministry and preparing coffee, bringing snacks, different things that, that happens out in the lobby. Serving in setup and takedown and serving in harvest kids, serving in worship, all of these different things. I mean, there's, there's so many opportunities. And, and then this week I was reading from um, some... Some um, author that, someone who's done a lot of studies, they say that oftentimes people will decide within seven minutes of walking in the doors of a church if it's going to be a church for them or not. Because they want to know, is this going to be a place where I'm going to be loved? I'm going to be cared for? That's seven minutes. I'm not even preaching by then. I mean, people have made their decisions at times on, on a church before they, they even get to hear me preach, which might even turn more of them off. You know? And so you folks need to do an amazing job at loving, at getting to know people, having an attitude, a mindset. No one stands alone that, that, that out in the lobby afterwards is there's coffee and is there's refreshments, that, that, that it's about talking, extending ourselves, going and, and greeting one another and getting to know people who we don't know. People's hearts are drawn to the love of God through the people of God even before we get to the word of God. And it's preparing their hearts. And that is so important. Now, now take a look in verse 5. It says, and, and what they said, because remember the, the apostles said, okay, choose, choose some, some seven men that, you know, good reputation, filled with the Holy Spirit, have some wisdom. And it says in verse 5, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Acanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These men addressed the needs and took care of the widows within the church. 
They were called, they were appointed, but now notice what is the first thing that happens. They didn't sit down and, and have a meeting. We see next the priority of prayer. That in everything, prayer needs to be a priority. When it comes, even the disciples, when they were, um, say, or the apostles were saying to the group of people, we need to be devoted to the word of God, not just the study of the word of God, but the prayer of the word of God. Be praying through things. Be praying that God would, would do the work that only he can do. And even here, we see the priority of prayer. It says, these, these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. It wasn't getting a job description together. It wasn't taking a survey how best they could do their ministry. Their first priority was prayer. These men had been appointed to serve, but their first priority was to be prayed for. And I encourage you, even if you are a guest here today from another church, visiting from out of town or wherever it might be, can you be praying for your pastor? Can you be praying for the leaders, for those who, who, who lead in worship, those who, who teach our children to, to, to be praying for and with one another? You see, preaching without prayer is powerless. Pray during the week. That's when many of the battles are happening. Be praying for one another, standing together in prayer. prayer. Praying together on Sundays. Sunday after Sunday, I try to walk in, into the worship center here and where Harvest Kids are and be praying, God, show up in this room. Do a work in the lives of people. Do the work that only you can do, God. And recognize our need for him to do that. Pray for um, those in, in spiritual leadership. The attacks... You know how many pastors are plagued with fear? Fears that, that come up out of nowhere? It's crazy. I mean, just some of the attacks that, that, that happen. Pride and arrogance. Thinking we're more than we really are. So be praying the priority of prayer in all of this. And finally, in all things, humility. In all things, keep a humble heart. Such a strong spirit of humility is at work in this passage, and, and, and you can easily miss it. You need to dig. You, you need to dust up this passage a little bit, and you start to see that, that there's actually some amazing things that are taking place here, and as you scratch the surface and get beyond it. And, and here is something that, that you don't see upon the quick reading of this passage. Um, five out of the seven we never hear from again. I believe they continued to serve the Lord and, and, and did their work faithfully. Stephen and Philip, we hear again. We hear about, about Stephen and just write the very next passage. Philip, we hear a little bit more about both of them used by God in, a, in an incredible way. This was just the start of what God had for them. The others, we don't know what happened to them, but we believe they continue to, to serve God faithfully. And so we see that, that there was an attitude of humility here and that God used them. But here, here, here's the neat thing that I never understood this or, or realized this until this week as got digging into this, that those seven names, those seven individuals that were chosen, they were all Greeks. They weren't locals. There was a humility. The people chose these people, and they saw the needs of others more important than themselves, and so they chose, instead of like, well, let's have equal representative. You know what? We have so many people, you know, and, you know who are Hebrew Jews and so many Hellenistic, so let's, let's you know what, power to the people. Let's, let's have representational kind of committee here. And we see an attitude of humility within the church where the Hebrews are saying, hey, you guys, I mean, you guys, appoint, let's appoint Greeks. 
Let, let's, let's appoint, you know what, you foreigners so, so that then, you know what, we, like, we totally want to serve you. We want to bless you in this. What, what a heart of humility. That's amazing to, to see that take place. Well, don't you think they could take advantage of us? Yeah, but we have a God who will supply all our needs. But I'm sure they didn't because they responded to this humble attitude in an attitude of humility themselves. And when you see an attitude of love bathed in humility where it's more about what the other person wants than yourself, because we see that in Christ, who emptied himself, gave himself, when Christ is at the center and humility is the anchor, you get this kind of a result. You get the kaboom factor that happens within the life of the church. I love this. Look at verse 7. Underline this if, if you're an underliner in your Bible. This is amazing. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples multitude multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. What happened? What could have destroyed the church? The murmuring, the complaining, the, you know what, my rights over your rights resulted in, boom, more disciples. More people saying, I want that. We see TV commercials. I don't even know who, who, who it is that's advertising. Their main slogan is, I want that. And I want this. I want this gadget. I want this car. I want this house. I want this. I want these kind of accolades. No, it was, I want what these people have. They, I want Christ. I want the gospel. I want this humility in my own life. And it comes in a personal relationship with Christ. Outsiders were hearing, but they were also seeing the gospel at work. And because of that, they responded. Priests were becoming obedient to the faith. Notice, it, I mean, it just doesn't say that, that, that priests showed up and were interested. No, they became obedient. That means that they resigned their jobs. They didn't know what they were necessarily going to go to. I mean, they were priests up until this time. And now, all of a sudden, it's just like, oh, I guess if I'm a follower of Christ, I, I don't need to continue on in this way. And, and they became obedient to the faith. They were baptized. They went public with their faith in Jesus Christ. They had the most to lose. But they gained Christ. They found it all in him. He would meet their needs. And the gospel spread. So this morning I ask you, where are you at this morning in light of this passage? Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you all in? Have you personally responded to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? That is the most important thing. Do you know him in a personal way? Have you come to him for the forgiveness of your sins and, and received the gift of salvation, that free gift? If not, that's the most important thing. You can do that today. love to talk to you after the service. You can pray a simple prayer right where you're at in, in receiving Christ. Asking him to forgive you of your sins and to come into your life and be your Lord and Savior. And that begins the most amazing, difficult, but rewarding journey of your life. Or are you living your life with an attitude, are you living your life in an attitude of obedience to the word of God? Or is it kind of like I'm living the smorgasbord Christianity. I'll pick and choose what I want to believe and what I want to do. I'll take a little here, a little there. Are we taking the full counsel of God and applying it to our lives? Do we just want our ears tickled by preachers or do we want to hear the truth of God 
proclaim to us and fall under the teaching of God's word. Let's be praying for our church. Let's be praying for other churches. Other churches in our city that there would be unity, that there wouldn't be spirits of, of, of complaining or disgruntledness that would happen and instead deal with things biblically. That churches and that Harvest Bible Chapel will keep the main thing, the main thing about the word of God and the transformation that comes as we take God's word by his spirit in our lives to mold and to change us little by little each and every day. Pray that we would all do our part in fostering that spirit of unity. Serve. Prioritize. Multiply the ministry. Look for ways that you can serve. You can sign up online. You can talk to a ministry leader. Be someone who's passionate about the word of God and prayer and pray that into the lives of those who lead here in our church. Pray that into the lives of your family, your own life. Let's pray together. Lord, we come to you and we confess that so oftentimes we make our faith in you more about us and about our comfort. And we confess that oftentimes we allow the world to squeeze us into its mold. But Lord, in view of your great mercy and your great love for us, that we were singing about earlier in this service, that in view of your great love and the gospel, what it does to change and transform us, may we, may we live for you full out, prioritizing your word and prayer in our lives. We confess that we get distracted so easily, and I pray that today would be, for, for all of us here, just a, a mid-course correction that we need in our lives right now to remind us to keep the main thing the main thing. So easily we can, can drift, we can fall into a nominal faith that it just becomes by name only, but it's not real. Lord, I pray that authentically we would have those in our lives that we can talk with, pray with, get real with to share how things are really going in our lives. And Lord, I pray that we would uphold your word in all things. We would be a church that prays, prays regularly and prays authentically with faith-filled prayers. Lord, I pray forgive us in the areas where we have fallen short. Thank you that you do that. Your mercies are new every day. And in a spirit of humility, may that blanket this body. May it blanket the body of your church, Father, of putting others' need, other needs ahead of our own, looking to you as the example, knowing that the results of that are amazing, amazing. Lord, I pray we would take and we would apply your truths this week to our church, our own lives, our families, workplace, wherever it is, and may we live out the gospel. But we need you to do that. And so together we cry out to you that we need you. Oh, we need you every hour. May we be keeping those short accounts with you. Let's stand together as we worship.